0: Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McLanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours. Truly, support the show by going to McClanahanacademy.com. It's always read to enroll. Get that free class when you do enroll. And, of course, get great deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. But as always, a great way to support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Send me those show requests. Do all you can to get more people listening to the show. And as we grow the audience, it gets better. So uh, I appreciate all the support and all that you do to help promote The Brian McClanahan Show. All right, let's talk about the, the subject of the day, which is an article that was written for Chronicles Magazine in November of 2021 by Patrick Casey. And the title is Conservatism Has Conserved Nothing. This is something I've talked about on this show quite a bit. And I've mentioned things like, look, if you're going to say Frederick Douglass is a conservative, you're not a conservative. If you're not conserving anything. If you're going to say Elizabeth Cady Stanton is a conservative, you're not conserving anything. If you're going to say Abraham Lincoln is a conservative, you're not conserving anything. And the first line of this piece is, conservatism has not conserved anything. He's correct. In fact, Dabney pointed this out in the 1880s. American conservatism conserves nothing. It just simply adopts the last worn-out vestiges of the left. And it accepts them as their own. This is exactly what I mean by saying that Frederick Douglass isn't a conservative or Stanton, or Lincoln or any of the Republicans from the 1860s. When you have Heather Cox Richardson out there running around, who's a rabid leftist, praising the Republican Party, you know of that time period, you know you've got problems when that is the basis of your conservatism. You're two sides of the same coin. All that the modern conservatives are saying is, well, we just want to go at the change slower. We, we're not saying no to anything. We don't say no, shut up like we should, which is what they should be saying to all this stuff. We don't say no, shut up. We just say, well, uh, no right now, maybe later. No right now, maybe later. And so as the petulant children run around and try to get all the stuff they want, well, then eventually mommy and daddy are going to let them have it. And so that's the issue here. Right, And so this is why I like this piece by Casey, because he rightly blasts the American conservative ink because it's not really conservative. So I'm going to read this piece. It's very good. Uh, And he gets into this stuff, and he says, Conservatism has not conserved anything. This claim may appear ridiculous to those plagued by unwavering faith in the Republican Party and the conservative movement. After all, is it not conservatism that is holding the line against the left tyrannical agenda? Of course not. Of course not. If anything, American conservatism has done a terrible job doing anything that it says to do. When it wins, it doesn't do anything. It simply just exists. It doesn't go after... You know, this is why people like Trump, because he went after the left, at least rhetorically, calling them fake news, pointing out their stupidity, all these things. It's what Ron DeSantis does very well in Florida. Though we could question some of their uh, some of their policy ideas which were bad. I mean, Trump was pushing unconstitutional federal government just as much as anyone else, and I would think that President DeSantis, should he win, would do that kind of thing too. But the fact is, they at least go on the offensive. This is why people like him, because they're tired of always being pushed in the corner and nobody defends themselves. So in that way, this is why Trump owning the libs became you know, a hallmark of the Trump era, and this is where DeSantis does the exact same thing. But Casey says, to those of the know, however, the charge that conservatism has conserved nothing is so self-evident that it has become something of a cliché, a veritable mantra recited with such frequency that it's more likely to evoke eye rolls than enlightenment. Nevertheless, clichés often convey deep, fundamental truths. A few clichés on the right ring truer than this one. And few clichés, I should say, on the right ring truer than this one. The history of conservatism is one of toothless opposition to whatever form of anti-civilizational insanity the left happens to be promoting at a particular point in time. Established figures on the right, be they politicians or pundits, are wont to publicly denounce the left, only to later capitulate to or adopt outright the other side's positions. But this is, this is the case of any time, right? It could, it could be the 1860s, it could be the 1870s. In fact, if you look at Russell Kirk's The Conservative Mind, if you look at that Gilded Age conservatism, he forgets some of the most valuable conservatives, which would be the Southerners. Conservatives in the 1870s, 80s, and 90s weren't very conservative if they were coming out of the North. You had the Adamses, but other than that, um, it was pretty paltry, except for Southerners who had been essentially uh, you know, muzzled by that point. They couldn't do anything because these they were called traitors and everything else. So the Southern conservatism is the most important thing to understand. This is where all the Straussians get it all wrong. If they really want to preserve conservatism in America, they need to be looking at the South almost the entire time. It was the only section in America that had true conservatism. Those on the right who refuse to capitulate are defamed, unpersoned, and blackballed by the combined forces of the establishment, conservatives included, thus further hampering the instances where conservatism truly does propose some opposition to the left. The message is clear. Get with the times or face the consequences. The practice of the right ceding cultural, political, and moral ground to its ostensible political adversaries has come to be known as the leftward shift. It is not unusual for parties identified with the right to move leftward to accommodate a changed political climate. But today's political conservative operatives have carried this practice to new heights. It's true, right? But this has been going on since the end of the war. Since the end of the war in 1865, this has been going on. So this is why I've said, this is why I launched the attack in 2020 against, or early 2021, excuse me, against the 1776 commission report. It's why I did it. Because of this. He's exactly right. Historical examples of leftward shift in action abound. Few, however, are as illustrative of the extent to which conservatives have been willing to adopt positions they once opposed, such as gay marriage and so-called LGBT rights in general. Opposition to gay marriage was until very recently a defining facet of American conservatism. In 2004, George W. Bush publicly supported an amendment that would limit marriage to people of the opposite sex. This decision was made in response to San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom, who, two weeks prior, began granting marriage licenses to homosexual couples. The union of a man and a woman is the most enduring human institution, honored and encouraged in all cultures and by every religious faith, Bush said at the time. Much has changed since then. 23% of voters who identified as or lean Republicans supported gay marriage in 2001. By 2019, not even two decades later, that percentage nearly doubled to 44 percent. While the trajectory has been upward in recent years, it did not noticeably spike in 2017 at 44 percent. It did noticeably spike. I'm sorry. Which Trump? Which followed Trump's first year in office? At a campaign stop in Colorado, Trump candidate Trump unfurled a rainbow-colored flag that read LGBT for Trump. The Trump campaign store featured similarly colored merchandise. Trump himself said in 2016 that he was fine with gay marriage, and the MAGA world lavishly praised itself for Trump's appointment of Richard Grinnell, America's first openly gay cabinet member. Conservatives aren't the only ones who recently flipped on their opposition to gay marriage. In 2008, Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama explicitly stated his aversion to the practice. I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, Obama said in November 2008. I am not in favor of gay marriage. Obama only reversed his position on gay marriage during his 2012 re-election campaign. It would be unthinkable these days for a democratic presidential candidate to voice such a conservative position on gay marriage or anything really and win. But this change in opinion but did this change in opinion, sorry, signify signify excuse me, a sincere change of heart for Barack Obama or was he merely shifting his stance on gay marriage for political reasons? As with any politician, it's often hard to differentiate between real politic and personal convictions. Regardless the fact remains that in 2008, the Democratic presidential nominee was able to win the election while opposing gay marriage. Yet now, in 2021, a substantial portion of Republicans support gay marriage and LGBT culture. Sometimes they even level accusations of homophobia against Democrats, believing themselves to be the true defender of gay rights. So this is, I mean, so he's going to point out this social issue of, of, of uh, these these questions. But this is, there's so much more than this. This is just one thing, and he's using a relatively recent example. But again, you can go back to just about any conservative position that was considered conservative in the 1850s or even the early 1860s and find that it had basically disappeared. And that, as Dabney points out, by the 1880s, conservatives have moved to the left on so many things. To be fair, opinions on the, f- on the right differ to how much appro- ha- on how to approach gay marriage now that the proverbial cat is out of the bag. While I'm far from supporting, supportive of a gay marriage, I'm nonetheless sympathetic to arguments that the right has more pressing concerns, mass immigration, industrializ- indo- uh, institutionalized anti-white animus, and tech censorship, to name a few. However, there's a difference between carefully choosing your battles and adopting the positions of your political adversaries. Conservatism, sadly, is guilty of the latter. Exactly right. So instead of choosing your battles, he's saying, look, there's other things that are more important. We're not going to put this thing back in the bag, so we got to pick our battles. But don't adopt what the other side is selling. But that's generally what the right does. Gay marriage isn't the only LGBT issue on which the right has ceded ground. Transgenderism, too, is now gaining acceptance in the conservative movement. In 2018, National Review published an article titled, Time for a Compromise on Transgenderism. The article's author argues that America has overall become more mature on gay rights and that it's only it's time for our country to reach a similar level of enlightenment on transgenderism. Clearly, conservatives are already rationalizing their eventual acceptance of transgender ideology and all of the legal implications thereof. The recent promotion of Caitlyn, formerly Bruce Jenner's bid for California governor by elements within conservatism, further reveals the acceptance of transgenderism on the right. Jenner, in appearance on Tucker Carlson tonight in April 2017, stated that his loyalties did not lie with Donald Trump or the Republican Party, but with the LGBT community. Over the course of Trump's presidency, and despite being granted a White House visit in 2018, Jenner repeatedly chastised him for failing to deliver on LGBT issues, saying that Trump has been, for all LGBT issues, the worst president we've ever had. Jenner also refused to vote for Trump in the 2020 elections, Nevertheless, Jenner recently ran as a Republican and has the support of many within conservatism, including former Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale, GOP uh, operative Carolyn Wren, and various Fox News hosts. Some on the right may believe that any Republican would be preferable to Gavin Newsom, even Caitlyn Jenner. California is undoubtedly in bad shape, but by supporting a transgender candidate, the right has ceded ground to the left yet again. The transgender agenda isn't merely about encouraging people to refer to transgender individuals by their preferred pronouns. It's about ensuring that mentally ill men are allowed to use the same bathrooms and changing rooms as young girls. Such an outcome will be hor- horrific, and if enacted through federal legislation, difficult to reverse. So, I mean, yeah, so this is the leftward shift. So Republicans, just a few years before this, would have said, "This is we're not going to do this. We're not going to support Bruce Jenner for or Caitlyn Jenner for this particular nomination. We won't do it because that's against our principles. But now, well, we got to get rid of Gavin Newsom, so we're going to support anybody that would get rid of Gavin Newsom. What is that saying about the, about the party, though? And what is that saying about principles? This is the point. Conservatism, American conservatism, conservative ink, conserves nothing. It is a toothless tiger. And the left knows it, which is why they continually beat the right... Because the right isn't going to do anything about it. It's why people love the fact that Trump or DeSantis or whoever, take your pick, pushes back. Even if they don't do a very good job of it, at least they're fighting back in some ways. Some conservatives, such as Turning Point USA founder Charles Kirk, have voiced their opposition to Caitlyn Jenner. Embracing a transgender candidate is still fairly taboo on the right for how long? The slippery slope is real, and given the nature of the leftward shift, we can safely predict that whatever opposition to transgenderism currently exists on the right will wane over time unless something drastic changes. Another example of the leftward shift, when arguably more damning, is the conservatives' adoption of the left's diversity agenda. In March of this year, the Congressional Leadership Fund, one of the largest Republican super PACs, published a document outlining a strategy for the 2022 midterm elections. Was that strategy to focus more on issues that matter to the base? Not quite. Instead, the CLF has a brilliant idea. Promote more women and minorities, the document reads. In 2020, all 15 of the seats Republicans slipped were won by a woman, a minority, or a veteran. There were candidates of character, heroism, and achievement. That's not by accident. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy made it a priority from the outset to find strong candidates with compelling life stories that reflect their districts. To be clear, there's a world difference between endorsing the best candidate, regardless of race or gender, and emphasizing a candidate's diversity status. The former is sensible, whereas the latter is evidence of the leftward shift in action. It must remember that it was the left, not the right, that introduced a moral hierarchy in which white people occupy a lower standing than non-white people. Despite the obvious leftist origins of this anti-white framework, many in the GOP appear to have adopted, adopted it. Amusingly, conservatives continue to decry the less emphasis on identity politics while shamelessly playing the same game. This is exactly right. Well, I think the heart of all this and what I what I would say about some of this, it's politics. It's the parties. The problem is the parties. The problem is the national focus of everything in America. If it's all coming from the center, if we have to get the center, and I see it in the state I live in, they're not running on state issues or things that matter to the people of the state, they're running against Joe Biden, if you're a Republican. This is this is the point. Run against Joe Biden because I guess nothing matters in the state. Joe Biden's is more important. In reality, that's not the case. Now, I know he focused on a state election, but you have national voices for a California election. If the people of California want to elect Jenner, well then, that's what the people of California are, are going to do. Frankly, I have I don't care who who's elected in California. The problem here is a national view. Again, think locally, act locally in action. You can avoid a lot of this stuff. Now, I think that he's right in saying, well, I mean, look, just getting the best candidate in your area. If that's the case, it doesn't matter who it is. Well, I agree. But it, it's going to reflect the culture of the place, and California is a strange place. So, with California being a strange place, they're going to they're going to nominate strange people, and the Jenners are strange people, all of them. The Kardashians, the Jenners, they're all strange people. It fits California. Let California be California, and let them do what they want. But keep California out of Washington would be the the right mantra. Furthermore, a favorite conservative pastime is arguing that Democrats are the real racists. This is actually true for institutional racism racism exists. It's directed exclusively at white people and is supported wholeheartedly by the Democratic Party. Yet this isn't what most conservative pundits are getting at. Instead, their claim is that the Democratic Party is racist against minorities, particularly black people. Despite such pandering, Trump did only slightly better with Hispanics in 2020 compared to 2016 and received roughly the same portion of the black votes in both elections. Right, so I mean, right, so the idea here is that all this doesn't work. Focus on your base. Go to your base and and the people that matter as your voters, because that's how you're going to win. Um, And the pandering is, people see it for what it is pandering. The left has a monopoly on his buzzwords and positions, meaning that voters who feel strongly about largely non existent racism towards minorities will never join the GOP in droves. Were the non white voters whom Trump gained in 2020 motivated by anti-racism? Doubtful. If the GOP wants to win over a greater share of minority voters, it should focus more on addressing real issues and improving the lives of all Americans. By adopting such a myopic stance on the most contentious of issues, conservatives, knowingly or unknowingly, also adopt the left's moral framework, which states that racism towards minorities is a pressing issue in America. Again, it was the left, not the right, that was responsible for popularizing the myth that non-white Americans face widespread racism. I agree 100%. The 1776 Commission Report, the Straussians, all of these people, by adopting leftist talking points from the 19th century, are doing exactly this. By saying equality is conservative, this is what they're doing. It's what they're doing. For a political movement that purports to oppose leftism, conservatism is curiously prone to adopting leftist positions. All of this raises the question, why see ground? In other words, why is conservatism increasingly resembling that which it believed, is believed to oppose? Since the answer is complicated. As noted above in the example of Obama's gay marriage switch, the leftward shift doesn't exclusively affect the right. The culture overall is moving leftward. Virtually every powerful institution in America, academia, corporations, finance, the mainstream media, the judiciary, the administrative state, intelligence agencies, and more, supports this trajectory. And although the exact source of the leftward shift is hard to pinpoint, to broadly ascribe it to our ruling class would be accurate. Simply put, leftism emanates from the halls of power because it benefits those in charge. And while politics is downstream from culture, it is also true that culture is downstream from power. I, that paragraph is beautiful because it is the establishment that's driving the entire narrative. And people regurgitate what they're told either in school or on social media or on television. You go out and look at television shows and every commercials, everything. It's all pushing a leftist agenda all the time, 24-7 now. As to why conservatives seed ground to the left, the reasons vary. Cowardice is the most obvious. Up against any array of powerful, hostile institutions, conservatives often feel that holding a line on a particular culture or political battle is futile. As a result, they tend to resort to ill-advised strategies. Strategies, excuse me. Easily the worst of these is the adoption of the other side's moral framework, positions and language in an attempt to beat the left at its own game. Now, that's the Straussians. That's Harry Jaffa. It's exactly what he was doing with equality as conservative. This is what Bradford pointed out. You're being an idiot by saying this. And all the Straussians have fallen in line, and Abraham Lincoln's a conservative. Now, you find, you find many people that would have called Abraham Lincoln a real conservative in the 1860s. He wouldn't have been described that way, nor would Seward, nor would any of the Republicans, nor would Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Frederick Douglass, they wouldn't have been described as that. They were leftists. So by saying these people are conservative, you're essentially accepting the leftward shift, but at a historical level. Conservatives fancy themselves mighty clever when they ape their adversaries, but the joke is ultimately on them. There is a more insidious dynamic at play as well. Many conservative pundits and most GOP operatives serve the establishment, not the people, so their failure to hold the line isn't a failure at all from their perspective. It's the system working as intended. The establishment right in America is best understood as controlled opposition. The inner party, Democratic, openly derives... Uh, openly drives the country further leftward, whereas the other party, the outer party, Republicans, exists to provide false assurance to its constituents that it's doing its best to conserve what's left of historic America. What little pushback the outer part offers, of course, is nothing more than political theater designed to coax justifiably outrage Americans into complacency. Barring a few exceptions, the Republican Party and establishment conservatism have no intention of reversing American decline but rather serve the function of ensuring that no meaningful opposition to globalism can blossom on the right although the Trump phenomenon proved that thus this controlled opposition status quo can indeed be interrupted whether the current wave of populism will succeed in the long run remains to be seen again i would say the real the real lesson here is Think locally, act locally. It's not the national you got to be focusing on. It's the local. You can block some of this stuff at the local level. You can have a hedge. This is what the states always had to do. It's why we have a federal republic, a federation of states. It was designed this way to keep Massachusetts ruling South Carolina and vice versa. That's why we have it. The leftward shift is indeed a real phenomenon, one responsible for unraveling the social technology that made America great in the first place. Conservatism has undeniably proven itself incapable of stemming stemming the tide of leftism. As such, one is forced to conclude that this process will continue for the foreseeable future. Make no mistake, until our institutions are reclaimed, we haven't won. But I would say it's not necessarily about reclaiming institutions. Washington, D.C. is gone, right? The second, if if American conservatives could actually wake up and realize there's no national cause in all of this, the center is gone. Even here, we're getting um, kind of an apology for nationalism. Patrick Casey is pushing sort of a nationalist position. We've got to take back control of our institutions, and he's looking at national institutions in a lot of ways. Of course, this could also be states, schools, uh, you know, state governments, local governments, civic boards, all kinds of things. But you got to work from the bottom up. Usually, people though, only want to focus on Congress and the and the presidency. But our institutions, you need to start at the at the bottom. Start small. That's where it's going to happen. In light of such a somber assessment, it's worth asking what, if anything, is left to conserve. Statues of American heroes are toppled on the streets by regime-sanctioned mobs. Our nation's great history is being rewritten by those who hate it. Anti-white racism and discrimination are a matter of state policy. A demographic majority-minority is just around the corner. The promotion of LGBT propaganda into children is mainstream, and those who dare to speak out against the madness face unpersoning, deplatforming, and unemployment. The brutal... Unignorable reality of the situation is that there isn't much left to conserve. It's foolish to believe that merely halting the leftward shift now after decades of damage will prove sufficient to save America. This process must be stopped, not slowed, not be grudgingly accepted, but stopped altogether. After all, there's only so much ground we can cede. We've almost reached that point. Therefore, instead of conserving, the right must focus on reclaiming. So long as American power centers are controlled by the globalist regime, The leftward shift will continue, and our country will continue to drift further and further into tyranny, chaos, and ultimately oblivion. It's uh, thus up to us, American patriots and men of the West, to ensure that this doesn't happen. Now, he doesn't really tell you what to do here, but again, think locally, act locally is the solution. Get out of the institutions. Remove yourself from some of these things that are controlling the narrative. Don't subscribe to it. Don't do it. That's how you make a change. That's how you take a stand. And if everyone did this and just worried about your own house and then your own community first, then you can go from there and start worrying about Washington, D.C. or even your state level. It's got to go from the bottom up. This is Aristotle. Aristotle said the family was the most important thing, and then you worked out from there. If your family's not in order... Then nothing else is going to be in order. And so you got to work from the family out. And I think that's the think locally, act locally mantra and why it works to arrest these problems. But I thought his essay was spot on when it came to the leftward shift. It's something that's happening and we need to be aware of it. Um, So, Chronicles Magazine, by the way, is a great magazine. If you don't subscribe, you should. And uh, I I highly recommend it. It's it's the only magazine on the market that really does a good job of this kind of stuff. But look, conservatives have been pointing out this problem since the 1870s, 1880s. They knew it was happening. They saw it then, and it's only gotten worse in the last 100 plus years. But that's where uh, we need to realize that there's no national solution to any of this. It has to come from the bottom up. And think locally, act locally has to be your charge moving forward. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McLean Hand Show. See you then.